Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with my dear friend and literal Jedi, Robbie Schur. Robbie is a neurotraining master. He is the founder of Neurological Networks. And we just basically have a conversation about a bunch of different health topics. Um, I really hope you enjoy. His wisdom is unfathomable actually and I will attach a few links um, to the courses that he mentions in the show notes yeah that's it enjoy <laughs> um is there anything in particular you want to talk about because I just have a bunch of random questions like just random topics <clears throat> um no I didn't think of much let me think for two minutes what's a good topic Um, you think it would be too controversial to do? I love controversial. Where is this going? No, like supplement stuff. What about supplements? Like ah, oh, just you know, everyone, everyone's always this is good, and no, like you've got the conflicting opinions yeah, totally. on everything supplements yeah i can actually i mean i can bring up a specific like in regards to supplements <clears throat> there's like a huge i i spoke to you about this actually there's a huge camp of people that say synthetic um vitamin c is bad ascorbic acid mm. is bad and it's interesting because within that world there's now like cracks in it people are like breaking off again and saying that no ascorbic acid is actually fine. Good. Yeah. And same with vitamin D, like taking vitamin D as a supplement, there's a huge, huge like polarization between like, it's terrible for you and it's depletes this versus it. It's necessary. And like, yeah. But everyone's missing the point. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. Yeah. You I mean, a finger. Yeah. To do supplements, you have to do a finger. That's why I read all this stuff. But um well, so let's finger, just let's just guessing. use this. Let's just go there now instead of we'll just use this as we're talking. So when you say the finger, what does that yep. mean? Well, you gotta do muscle checking. Mm -hmm. You gotta just test. Supplements mm -hmm. are it's a massive, it's a minefield. Like there's some things you just have to do mandatorily with supplements mm -hmm. um, to be able to know if you got the right one. So take vitamin D, for example, there's, you know, the huge community of don't take vitamin D and then everyone will say, no, vitamin D is good for a million things. It's mm -hmm. no, the most important thing about vitamin D is you have to make sure your body's converting inactive vitamin D to active vitamin D. Mm -hmm. If your body's not doing that, then you keep pumping it full of, the inactive form and it's going to cause a whole lot of problems you're going to just accumulate this crap right and your body's not converting it to the active form you're wasting your time now your kidneys have to process this and your liver and everything else got to get rid of it and big problems happen but if your body is converting it then if you need more you need more if you don't need more you don't need more right that's why so some people do really well on vitamin d and others don't right because that, like, like you said, if people are taking the synthetic vitamin D and not converting it, they might be getting some side effects, whatever effects, symptoms and saying artificial vitamin D is terrible for you, but really 
they're missing a part of like the whole chain. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe synthetic is terrible for some people and maybe synthetic isn't terrible for some people. Supplements, it's never a one size fits all because it's, it's environmental. So it's environmental and it's genetic and it's constitutional. So it's really hard to say vitamin D is bad for everyone or vitamin D is good for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, vitamin D is an awesome one. It's like, first of all, blood tests, they never check for the right type of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So lots of people, they go for a vitamin D blood test and their inactive form of vitamin D is really low. But no one checks for the active form because the active form, there's, you know, some medical um, textbooks say that, you know, that they're they like correlated to each other perfectly. But they're only correlated to each other when you're well. So if you're sick, which is when you need a blood test, they aren't correlated. So you have this really low inactive form of vitamin D and you have this, uh, you probably got a really high active form of vitamin D. And that's just telling you you've got infections. Right. And your body's using vitamin D. Converting all of the inactive to the active form. And you've got infections. And it's really good to know that because then supplementing with more vitamin D is probably not what you need. You need something to make your immune system fight the infections off. But mm -hmm. that's just telling you, you know, the ratio of inactive to active vitamin D is a really good thing to check for. And if that's screwy, it's usually bacteria and viruses that are causing that because you're using up all your inactive form. And doctors generally don't check for the active form because they always say, oh, well, they're the same. Well, no, they're only the same when you will. Mm -hmm. And when you go for blood tests, when you will. I'm feeling really great this week. I'm going to go get some blood tests done. Right. Rare. Yeah. Um, so if you get, you know, doctors who check for everything, then they know about this and then they'll lead you in the right direction. But if you've got low um, active vitamin D and low inactive vitamin D, then you may need a vitamin D supplement. But if you have really high inactive vitamin D and low active vitamin D, then you need neurological networks to tell you how to activate it. <laughs> Is there any way of... How, like, how does one do that? Is there a simple way or is it? A There's a really simple protocol and yeah. maybe we can post it or something like that. Yeah, cool. We, can, we need pictures and stuff, but it's really easy to activate your vitamin D. Mm. And it's kind of the story with supplements in general. It's like you need to have an outcome of what the supplement's for. And if anything mm -hmm. in the chain is broken, then depending on how far away you are, the supplement to the goal then you may, it's hit or miss, right? Well, that's the thing about muscle checking that's like blown my mind is the nature of like a priority, right? Is, so we have our, con you know, we have our mind that says, um, I want proper vitamin D levels. But so that's our conscious priority that we want to focus on. But how does that fit in the whole realm of what's going on in our body? So like, here's an example I wanted, we were doing, um, ages ago, we were working on my liver together. We were doing glyphosate detox and it was my love. My liver was struggling. And so we'd been doing, I've been doing a bunch of protocols and stuff, the lemon juice and olive oil and the balances and all the stuff, the, um, 
anyways, a bunch of things. And then I really was like, I want to do a liver flush. Like my liver was now operating really well. It was, I forget, 86% functioning or something down up from like, you know, probably 12% or something. So my liver is now doing really well in my mind, in my mind. Oh, and this is the time to do a liver flush, you know? Never mind the fact that people often do liver flushes when their livers are struggling, right? They think like it's going to help clear things out because people preach things all the time that just aren't, they don't fit in the priority of the chain of sequence of what's going on to actually heal. So we were told, sure, a liver flush helps clear things in the liver, helps fix the liver. Based on muscle checking, my liver was doing very well. And so I asked you, can I do a liver flush? And your response, well, you, you muscle check. And you said, no, because maybe you can explain it. It was the percentage of available energy. So like, yeah, so there's um, just with in muscle checking, you can do, you can count percentages because, mm, I mean, we go through this in the self-checking course mm-hmm. a lot, but you know, the muscle checking itself it's kind of like a binary system right the muscles either locking or unlocking and that's really black and white but Mm -hmm. we all know people aren't black and white so the way you add some color to knowing what's going on like a perfect example is um say your ability to i don't know tolerate chocolate Mm -hmm. and you do a muscle check on chocolate and it's really strong so does that really mean you can tolerate chocolate Mm. In a black and white world, yeah, but in a gray world, maybe you're only able to tolerate chocolate at 51%. Mm-hmm. That's enough that it's like a pass on an exam. Right. So the muscle shows up strong. Right. Where 49 would show, oh, that's a fail, and you unlock. But so percentages start giving some color to the muscle checking. And you really stop worrying too much about the locks and unlocks. Like, did this hold or did this unlock? And it becomes more about, um, well, let's actually start counting how well your liver is doing things. And there are some nice percentages you count. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, um, functioning of the liver as opposed to available energy to the liver as opposed to unavailable energy to the liver. Right. And you want all of these. So if you just check liver, maybe it holds, but you check available energy to the liver, it may be 55%. Well, that's good enough to make your liver hold, but it's not really a great number to show that the liver's working nicely. So any number you can really think of that makes kind of sense, you can check a percentage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that actually gives you a lot more information than, oh, my liver's fine because the muscle check says it's fine. The muscle mm-hmm. checking is just a feedback mechanism like but um, even- like even without thinking it's fine, like it's, I mean, it's an art, I guess. Right. Because like, so that's even introducing muscle checking. It can still be inaccurately like your muscle can be your, my liver was doing really well, but what you told me then is that the percentage of energy it had, it was doing well, but it needed all of that energy just to process shit, like just to do its liver functions. And so introducing a liver flush, for example, is like, going to the gym when you're feeling good, but like your body's actually, it has no extra capacity to, to have more stress. That's, that's actually a pretty common um, concept that you've brought up and that is of recuperation. So you can get new neurology in place 
to allow something to start recuperating. So mm -hmm. your liver was not functioning great. Um, maybe not you as an example, just generally speaking. Well, it wasn't. We, no, we can totally talk about my liver. My liver is like a weak point. Um, yeah, it? I don't like to bring you up personally. So some no, let's person, let's call her Cam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, let's do it. Honestly, I people are interested. I'm very open. So we can totally go there. Yeah, so... Say your liver, your well, in this case, your liver wasn't functioning great. We may have done two sessions on it, and we weren't specifically working on liver both times. It just came kind of came up within the natural flow of the session, and we got the liver to function really well. And kind of, you said your energy levels picked up, and you're feeling good. And when you check the liver, it's like its ability is now there, and mm -hmm. it's working well but it hasn't had enough time to actually get over the problem completely. So if you do muscle checking around your liver, it, it looks okay, but the damage, like you've created a new neurology to get over the problem. So your nervous system doesn't recognize there to be an issue anymore mm -hmm. because it's, oh, but the, the imbalance that you had from before hasn't completely gone away it's just you have the resources the neurology you have everything in place to overcome the issue but that may take a few months to actually overcome the issue right it's like all we're doing is training the nervous system to overcome something it's mm -hmm. like all the all your ducks are in a row everything's in place for you to get over this problem whatever it was i don't remember but it may take a few more weeks to then actually overcome it and what interesting is the nervous system will lose interest in that so you think you're fine because you go oh yeah i don't have that problem anymore you really don't but you just haven't put in all the time to get the best outcome yet mm -hmm. and that's where people you know you do a session the most common one is adrenals like you do a few adrenal sessions on people and they start to feel really good right they come to you because they're exhausted right so mm -hmm. You start balancing out their adrenals and say they don't have any acute problem. They just stressed for the last 10 years and they've run and, you know, burnt the candle on both ends for a long time and they, they're exhausted. So you rebalance the adrenals. That hasn't gotten over 10 years of exhaustion. Right. You've now got to let the adrenals rest. So you, well, and they're like, the first thing they want to do is, oh, I feel great again. I'm going to the gym. It's like, mm -hmm. no, your adrenals are now in place to recover you've mm -hmm. got to let them recover you've got to keep the energy like coming back inside the system rather than just burning it away because mm -hmm. if you burn it away basically uh wasted all that extra energy that extra energy is for recuperation as opposed for you know just getting things um just to be used up again everyone i mean the common problem everyone as soon as they get a bit of energy they feel good and they want to use it up Right. But usually you don't have the energy because you've been tired for a long time. You need to let that energy go back inside and kind of repair any damage that needs repairing. This is something. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So you wanted to do that liver cleanse. So yeah, your liver looked fine. It's working properly, but it's like a liver cleanse. You're now going to pull out all these toxins. It's like it hasn't recovered enough to do that. It's like leave it for a few months, let it recover. And then you can, then it'll have the energy to do a liver cleanse or a detox or whatever else you want to do. Mm -hmm. You've got to get like, 
it's got to be functioning well for a long time so that it almost becomes autopilot. Everything's working. It's cleaned up what it needs to. It doesn't need to go into deep-seated toxins that may be stored somewhere and clean out all of those. Mm -hmm. Like, give it a break, you know. It's, it hasn't been working well. Now it's working well. You don't need to, like, put it un under the pump straight away. Right. Well, speaking of, like, two stressors that are often touted as solutions, um, fasting being one of them and like I've definitely been guilty of this in the past of you know hopping on this bandwagon that fasting basically fixes everything and I know through muscle checking and like learning from you <clears throat> most people can't fast like they should well they can but they shouldn't be um yeah fasting is really well you've also hit on another topic it's like Everyone says the latest Fandango craze fixes everything. Mm -hmm. Nothing fixes everything. Mm -hmm. Some things fix some things and are detrimental to other things. So, you know, fasting, you should never, uh, fasting without having someone who really knows what's going on, a long fast is really bad. So like short fasts and missing a meal now and then is usually okay. Like, you know, the, the eight, the 16, eight type diet where you don't eat, say after eight o'clock at night and you kind of push your breakfast out in the morning. Mm. That's kind of good. Cause that's giving your body just the opportunity to have a break. Mm. Like what you do notice from uh, eating and fasting point of view is some people just are never stop eating. Um, and I'm not talking about whether they fat or thin or anything like that. Just some people never stop eating, you know, they wake up in the morning and they have something to eat. And then a few hours later, they have something to eat. And just before they go to bed, they have something to eat. Those people's bodies are never, ever resting, ever. Mm -hmm. They're digesting for the first few hours of night. Then first thing in the morning, they're eating again. They're like spleen, pancreas, kidney, liver, digestive system, never off. Mm -hmm. Just always working. But the 16-8 seems to be pretty good i mean always assuming you don't have chronic adrenal stress and also well, so what i was about like to that. say is like the problem in that framework is there's also so much disordered eating where people will i would say probably mostly women are maybe eating all day or all the time but eating so few calories so they're chronically stressed out and it doesn't really apply like there's you know, it's, it's nuanced, right? It's like people, like if, yeah, you're, if never. you're not eating enough for years, that fucks your metabolism. It's chronic state of stress. And so probably like developing a healthy relationship to food might be more important than introducing an intermittent fast. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the most important. So I had a, a client, not you and shall remain nameless. <laughs> he, um, he came to me and was like, oh, you need to help me with lose weight and all of this. And then we got into the eating problems. And uh, it was so inappropriate to get him to do any diet. Mm -hmm. He needed to just completely look like we had to balance him to just kind of lose interest in food where mm -hmm. like he would have something he knew wasn't great for him and was then self-punishing him for the next six hours. Why did I do that? But that's so and then he felt so shit that at nighttime he just wants to eat chocolate to make himself feel better again i think that's so, common yeah it's so common so you got to. i mean 
Try to fix the mental, emotional things wherever possible. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to do so. But generally speaking, as a general rule, you've got to fix the head and the emotions around a problem first. Because mm -hmm. if, if they don't have any um, emotional and mental stress around an issue, then then you can do it just give them a nice diet and say this is then it becomes an educational thing for them right and yeah. then if their body's metabolism metabolism needs a bit of work or um, processing of vitamins and things like that then there could be a whole bunch of reasons that they're not losing weight or why they feel like they're eating wrong and things like that mm -hmm. but if they're not addicted to food and they're not attached to the quality of life side of why they're eating and to make themselves feel better then it's just like great as a physical thing and we'll fix it up at you know one or two sessions we'll find what mineral you're deficient in and it's all good mm -hmm. um but so but yeah you've got to fix their got to fix the attachment to food first right. like whenever you do nutritional testing first thing you do you know go look on the emotional chart you just mm -hmm. you got it because if they go you know self-punishing i hate myself and all of this stuff attached to food you're going to get them to try diet and bring up all of this shit in an uncontrolled way. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Get them to have no attachment to food at all. Enjoy it while you eat it, whatever it is. Like freaking you want to go eat 10 Mars bars for dinner. Eat your 10 Mars bars for dinner. Enjoy it with all your heart and then go, that was great. Um, and now I'm not going to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I wanted to do that. I chose to do that. I enjoyed doing that. And then five minutes later, you don't think about it again. Like, you know, my house, we're pretty freaking crazy strict with food here. Um, but then we found out that, um, you know, Alex came to us, my little guy, and says, oh, all these friends of mine are eating chocolate and, and I want to try them. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yep, exactly. You're missing out. So we just every two weeks, Friday is chocolate day now. And he goes to the shop and he gets any chocolate he wants. And we sit down, the whole family sits down like with this chocolate, mm -hmm. not a big chocolate, and we like break it into our quarters. And for an hour and a half, we discuss last week's chocolate. Was this one better than last one? And so now he, we've made a whole big deal out of it. And it's a great family thing. And we rate them and we discuss it. And we like, because, and anytime the chocolate's crap, we got, no, that was a waste of chocolate day. We go get another one. And like what he's having half a chocolate bar every two weeks and mm -hmm. now he's not missing out and he has the greatest time mm -hmm. but you can tell he never thinks about it anymore he doesn't feel like he's missing out there's mm -hmm. no we've just found a nice solution and if you think about how much chocolate he's eating he's what having four blocks of chocolate well you know this like i mean we have a very close mutual friend who you know they have two daughters and i you know watching them the girls grow up they're incredible in their capacity to now make conscious choices regarding their health because there's been no deprivation there's been an education around why things aren't good for you and like an understanding but it hasn't been this like bl this black and white like this is bad for you this is good for you and then ultimately having grown up in that environment with like a very black and white idea of what's good and bad you rebel against it you don't understand and you create like a pathology around the story of food versus like um yeah and we i mean my kids understand why sugar's bad mm -hmm. and why you know um some other things are bad and i've explained to them but at the same time like 
every once in a while I'll see Alex will sneak a chocolate, but he doesn't get reprimanded. He doesn't get anything. Mm-hmm. He's just, yeah, he doesn't even sneak it, right? You just see him walk out of the cupboard with a bit of chocolate. And um, there's someone else, like maybe if Heath sees him, you'll go, oh, is that a good one? And you'll go, oh, yeah. But he generally, he won't eat it. Before we move on, because I have something, I kind of like want to go into allergies about this topic, but can we just test my relationship to fasting? Will you tell me right now? Because it's never very long. <laughs> and having like, having done fast in the, I've done 14 day fast. I've done 10 day fast. My mental capacity and resilience is strong, but just to check in, let's see what. Uh, well, what type of fasting just do straight you want water. to do? Test for straight water. But for how long? Well, isn't, can't you, like, isn't, can't you test for the appropriateness of a duration? Well, that's the thing. You can test for anything. So what's, so that this also brings up another big um, uh, misnomer about muscles checking. Mm -hmm. It's that you can't assume anything because Mm -hmm. the, just because the nervous system responds to a muscle check. Right. you don't know what that even means. So you mean so context? You always have to have a context. That's right. So what do you want to achieve by fasting? Well, I guess you long- want to feel terrible because then a long right. fast will show up. Right, right, right. Okay, long. I mean, the context I t- typically use when testing for supplements or foods or anything is long-term health. Um, yeah. So if we, you know, um, put lock cans long-term health in circuit not unlocking so it's not an obvious stress that context to begin with um so appropriateness of doing a that's 42 percent appropriate for you to do a fast up to three days but that's still not high no that's super i would never do something that and how inappropriate it's probably relatively inappropriate which is more interesting to me so 28% inappropriate, which is getting towards the high side. You don't generally do things that are above 20%. I do. I rarely do anything that's over 10, to be honest. Yeah, like me, anything below below 20, I kind of make a choice about. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's almost like it's not too inappropriate, but you're not getting the long-term benefit. No. And I think that's probably the important thing is like for people to tune in with what their actual intention is, which is what the, the, the context is, right? Because we can, we can, we can see quick results, for example, with weight loss and fasting. Sure. Yeah. Is how that, much of that's just dehydration. And like, what is your genuine priority? Because if the cost of your rapid weight loss is your long-term health, like it's really sitting with that. Like what is the priority and what are you like foregoing in the name of what you think you want right now? Yeah, and I must say, and all forms of, I mean, that's a concept which is 100% true. Like you got to have the right context, the right, you say motivation, uh, sorry, you say um, intention. I say kind of like the right motivation. You got to mm-hmm. know, kind of what you want to achieve and mm-hmm. some good long-term goals but just um going back to the weight loss um weight loss is always the the hardest part about weight loss is actually the 
you know, our body stores toxins, chemicals, and toxic emotions in fat cells. That's mm-hmm. where it puts it. Like things it doesn't know what to do with. It puts mm-hmm. into fat. Mm-hmm. So you put somebody on a, a fast fat diet. Most of the time, they, they come up with some excuse about why they don't stick to it. And that's your left brain rationalizing something which it doesn't quite understand. Really, mm-hmm. the reason why they're stopping because they're poisoning themselves, lose all the fat, all the chemicals come out. They don't know how to process the chemicals because if they knew how to process the chemicals in the first place, they wouldn't have stuck them into the fat cells. Mm -hmm. So these are specific things they don't know how to deal with. Mm -hmm. So you're forcing them to deal with all the things they don't know how to deal with, and then you wonder why it doesn't work. And then they start punishing themselves. Oh, I'm so crap. I can't even stick to a diet. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. dude, you it's like losing weight can potentially be one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do because almost everything you've not been able to deal with has been put into those fat cells and you wonder why it's so hard to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like you just got to well, have like, a plan. Like as it look, comes out, you deal can, with it slowly. Yeah, I can. And I can talk personally. I mean, we've, we've explored this too. For me, my diet and relationship to food has been quite good for a, a relatively long time. And it has nothing to do with that. For me, it's all emotional, particularly my past relationship. It's been like so wild. The times when like we separate my body, all of a sudden is like, okay, we can let go. We've like, oh, oh, we've let go of that. Great. Body changes. And then, you know, if I go back into that pattern, body changes back. It's like, it literally stores yeah, all this emotional stuff that it, it it's mind blowing, really. But so like you said, the difficulty isn't actually losing weight, because there's a lot of ways to do that. Arguably, r- relatively unhealthy, and I think most people participate in them. But if you actually want to find homeostasis in your body, it's like you have to explore the things that your body innately doesn't know how to deal with because they've stored it away. Yeah. I mean, storage, right? Everyone stores things they don't know how to deal with somewhere. And chemical and emotional toxins get stored in fat. Like that's, it's the same. It's like there's this whole two schools of thought with the fat from animal, from animals, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, fat's really good. Like everyone should be eating a lot of fat. You always have to put the caveat on in this, so a politically correct world mm-hmm. assuming that it's okay to do so everyone should be eating lots of right. fat right because right. fats you know if everyone swapped their carbs for fat people would do a lot better but basically so there's this whole train of thought is animal fat good it's like yes in a perfect world animal fat is fine but we don't live in a perfect world so the animal stores all its toxins in its fat Right. So now when you're eating animal fat, you're eating all the toxins that that animal didn't know how to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're eating. So it's not that the animal fat is necessarily bad. It's just that the stuff the animal ate was bad and it stored all the crap in its fat. Mm-hmm. So I generally, I don't eat too much animal fat because um, the quality of the fat's not good it's not that the fat itself is innately bad or good like animal fats no problem generally if the animal's clean but there's no more clean animals anymore right so it's i mean it's the whole thing if it's not what you eat it's what your food eats yeah 
well, yeah, to a large extent and full of antibiotics and all things like that. So it's really everything's everything's getting a bit complicated these days, right? right? It's, mm. And everyone's got these uh, alternate opinions. And generally my thought is all these people with these uh, contradicting contradicting opinions, they're all clever people, right? Mm. The people who say don't have this are pretty clever. And the people who say, hey, do have this, the same thing, are pretty clever too. So there's obviously they both write, but it's contextual. Mm-hmm. They write in this context and the other ones are right in this context. And it's understanding the intricacies of it. It's never simple anymore. It's, everything's just getting complicated with dirty water, dirty food, breathing in car fumes, 5G everywhere. Like there's so there's such a navigation that we have to do these days that, you know, uh, it's hard to know. Um, well, speaking, guess- speaking of context, like we we spoke about this the other day. We actually touched on it last time we recorded, but we never really went into it. And we've touched you and I have talked about this a few times, and it like it doesn't ever cease to amaze me just the concept concept of allergies, and that's another thing like you know, with muscle checking and in the muscle checking course, actually, there's the whole, like the chart on different things to test for in terms of like allergies versus intolerances versus fill in the blank. You probably sensitivities, aggravations, Mm -hmm. um, emotions, lots of things. So when people have some sort of symptom, let's say you have your, your dairy or your whatever, Maybe dairy is not the best one, actually, because like we've talked about, it can be more genetic. But let's say it's a random thing you used to be able to eat and now you can't. And you go to a a dietitian or a naturopath or a doctor and they're like, oh, you're allergic to this. But there's so much more to the story. And the other day you were telling me the example of like, um, if you do something every day, it's not that you've overhad it. It's that you've eventually probably associated that food with something that is. Yeah. Do you want to explain it better than I can? So firstly, um, the way I look at um, the world is through neural pathways. Mm -hmm. So um, for example, you could have an aggravation to a food and you eat that food and you get a flare-up, that is a different neural pathway to an allergy. Even though the symptoms may be similar, you would have to address it uh, differently. So an aggravation is you've actually, you find what it's aggravating in you and you balance it out. So you make something stronger. So if you're aggravated by bananas, you got to find out what the banana is aggravating. That's aggravating your immune system or it's aggravating your skin. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to find some way to stop the aggravation and strengthen up the skin. And then you can eat bananas again, right? That's a certain neural pathway called aggravation. Allergies, and then everything's got its, a different neural pathway. And you've got to actually balance out these issues within the correct neural pathway. If you try and balance someone out, with that aggravation by doing all these allergy therapies, you're not going to get anywhere because mm-hmm. it's aggravating you. It's There's nothing you can do. You've got to balance it out as an aggravation. But allergies are a neural pathway where it's been set up where 
you've associated something inappropriate to what you're doing. So that's why if you do something every day, you're giving yourself a very good opportunity to start associating more and more things to that thing. So if you have a banana every single day for breakfast and you live in a really happy home, but once a month, once every month, your dad has a bad work meeting, it's the same time every month. It's still 12 times a year your dad screams at you when you're eating that banana because you have the banana for breakfast every day, but 12 times a year, it's only 12 times a year. It's not bad. Your dad's a great guy, but 12 times a year screams at you mm. while you're eating that banana. Eventually, over 10 years of being a kid, you've now been scrapped at 120 times while eating a banana. Mm-hmm. So you inappropriately associate being scrimped at with eating the banana. That inappropriate association um, is what an allergy is, where you've inappropriately associated something negative to doing something that shouldn't be negative. Was that that my, my face was like, I don't even know if it was a breakout or a rash, but it was like on both sides and my skin's normally fine. I do not much to it. And you told me basically it tested up that my, I use jojoba oil, like it's a face oil and I use it every day, probably two or three times a day. And I, was it allergy that tested up? Like I, you told me to stop. That was specifically an allergy. I didn't find what you had associated to it because it was, you know, while we're talking crap to each other in the middle of the night. (laughs) And um, I was like, all right, well, it's showing up allergy aside gave you the quick fix just stop yeah. using it go right. find a different face thing because well within two like, days my face was fine and it was like it, it'd been lingering for like you know probably a month and a half of like just I'm like why what's going on I felt like a teenager again and yeah I mean yeah sure you can investigate and 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 balance that or you can just switch it up and use a different oil yeah so the trick is to switch things up before you give them a chance to develop allergies Mm. Um, so you know you have 10 different base soaps or five and just kind of rotate through them and you just won't use them enough to develop an allergy Mm -hmm. I mean if you think about using your face um, cream again you'll be able to tell me of 20 examples where something wasn't going well in your life while you were using the face soap you'll Mm -hmm. know them Mm-hmm. And that's the allergy. You've associated those things inappropriately and it happens subconsciously. Well, yeah, I don't. When it happens enough times. I don't remember if we discussed this in the last, I mean, it was so long ago that we recorded the last one, but definitely I have an intolerant, well, I have an allergy to egg whites. And back in the day when I was like 21 or 22 and like intensely over-exercising, over-caffeinating, completely fucking up my adrenals. I was also in this mentality of like egg white omelets, you know, all the high protein, low fat. It was that like craze of the time. And so definitely like, there's no doubt in my mind, my body just associated egg whites to this complete really self-abuse of like way too much adrenal depletion. And so when it has it, it's like, oh no, are we doing that shit again? Like, (laughs) yeah, that's right. So that's a perfect allergy, right? You've associated eggs which are neither good nor bad Mm -hmm. how can an egg be good or bad it's a freaking egg Mm -hmm. but you've associated negative association to that egg so now your body reacts to the egg like it's um and because of the negative association 
It's literally the white, right? It's it's so obvious. Like I was not having the yolks. I'm fine with yolks. It's literally yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and then it always sets off an immune reaction of some kind because mm-hmm. it's in, the inappropriate thing makes your immune system come into play. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this egg white is no good for whatever emotional or mental or physical reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your immune system says, well, we'll get rid of it. And then it makes the anti, what, what are they called? The antibodies. Mm-hmm. So the thing with allergies, though, is there's a difference between getting rid of the allergy and just getting rid of the, the antibodies to the allergen. It's like you stop eating egg whites or stop washing your face. The reaction calms down, but the neurological pattern still churning on in the background. So if you start using the face soap or eating egg whites in 20 years time, then you'd still have the reaction of the nervous system. So the, you need a balance. You get, you need a, um, yeah, so allergies are quite a tricky, allergies are a big, big problem in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you actually do them is that, well, there are two ways to kind of do them conceptually. It's you um, either break the negative association to them, which can sometimes be really tricky. And if that doesn't, if that's not appropriate, then what you do is you just got to keep adding positives. So it's like egg white, terrible at gym, but now I love myself. I love myself. I really love myself. I'm freaking awesome and I behave really well and I'm the best person in the world and I'm really awesome. And you associate all of that to the egg white. So it first has that negative thought, which the negative association, but then we train all these positive associations to come surround it. And there's just too much positive to have the body think eggs negative. Okay. And then it's just like, awesome. I can eat eggs now because sure, I had this bad association, but I've got all these 10 good positive associations. And then uh, the allergies no longer triggers the allergy pathway. Okay. So this is a different, it's like a pivot, but it's related. And I was speaking to someone about this a couple nights ago. Porn. <laughs> Porn. <laughs> well, so people can cultivate a relationship to porn that creates a neural pathway of like very specific desire behaviors, turn-ons. And then they might realize at one point it's no longer serving their actual relationship one-on-one real intimacy with a human being. So say you've decided that's not serving me anymore, but you have the neural pathways that are still lit up and, you know, you have you have the association with you is it dopamine like the intense dopamine hit and the, whatever but you don't want that anymore so how it's not an allergy you don't have an allergy to like a different kind of intimacy but you've created a habit in your brain yeah it usually shows up as an infused compulsive behavior mm-hmm. so you can have um chemistry or infused compulsive behaviors that an actual protocol but you can as the name suggests they get they wiggle their tentacles in pretty much everywhere right so, you know you may be going to the beach and then you see a hot chick down at the beach and then you go oh and that reminds you of porn so it just right. wiggles its way everywhere right um and you just got to that's one where you just cut it because it infuses its tentacles everywhere um, it may be related to dopamine or serotonin or all things like that, mm-hmm. but um, 
you've just got to chip away at it and you know you, you get to the point things are only fixed when you can take it or leave it without there being any attachment to it so it's like i could watch porn today or i could not watch porn today and i don't care either way then Mm -hmm. then the problem's gone then it's just a choice well the point Um, was actually the point wasn't actually of the 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 choice or not to watch porn it's like post i mean sure that's maybe the starting point but say you no longer do that because you realize it's not serving you but you still have the neural pathways that almost like they inter I mean they interfere with how you relate in real life because there's yeah, a huge difference so, between intimacy with a person and you know the quick whatever that you're getting yeah. from an overstimulated porn experience. So, it's like the same it's it's a good concept for everything, right? It's like rather than think of it as a bad thing, mm-hmm. you think of it as satisfying a need. Mm-hmm. So you've got an addiction to something, whatever it is, that is almost, it's satisfying a need. That's kind of like the medicine for an underlying problem. Right. The coping. So what you have to, yeah. So it's, you know, people who are, have um, brain chemistry imbalances, love um, alcohol or drugs, or because mm-hmm. in that moment, it's actually, that's the only time they feel semi-normal because that's acting like medication and self-medicine so mm-hmm. porn could be another one where it turns it forcibly turns on dopamine and that's what they really need is the hit of dopamine for example mm-hmm. so whatever the uh, underlying imbalance is when you identify the underlying imbalance and now you, you know what their need is you can just work out something else that can satisfy their need that's not negative so you can replace the negative uh or say porn in this example or porn addiction or whatever it is will make it extreme because you know a little bit of anything is not too bad but let's say they're watching 10 hours porn porn a day that's bad however you (laughs) find good and bad that's bad so (laughs) you find out what need that is satisfying in them um and then find a different way to give them that need and so that's kind of positive association say of intimacy, let's assume it's intimacy and touch and connection with a human being. And so over time, by replacing it, like replacing the the egg white association with, you know, self-love instead of self-abuse, you can also replace this deep intrinsic desire for affection and connection over time, balances shit out. Yeah. So um, you could even then go a step back and say, well, the self-love and the self-affection, although they're really nice, um, they're also just balancing out, mm. a, say, chemical pathway. Right. So, sure, you can replace the porn with I hug myself every day and I tell myself in the mirror how awesome I am, which there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But if that's still balancing out the same chemical pathway, that's a better alternative. Um, but really the best thing is to find out what's wrong with the chemical pathway and Mm -hmm. balance it out Mm -hmm. and like make them their body make dopamine correctly and then this concept of needing self-love and self-affection to fulfill a need you just don't Mm. there's not the issue anymore your body just makes dopamine and you carry on with your life Mm -hmm. because you could imagine a situation where someone replaces 10 hours of porn with looking in the mirror and saying oh you're awesome and giving themselves a hug definitely better but 
I don't want to go look in the mirror and give myself a hug every morning. It's a freaking waste of time. Brush my teeth and get on with things, right? It's like right. just not having that concept in my life. It's getting yeah. to the root, yeah. I think but maybe- having said that, there yeah. may be where the actual problem is not a chemical problem. It really is an emotional self-loathing type thing. And mm-hmm. then that is the problem. And so don't anyone get cross with me. I'm not saying watching porn has got anything to do with self-loathing. I was making up two. I kind of am, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's fine. You know where I live. Um, <laughs> but it's like in that case, then that is the, that is the real answer. It's like you want to work at the causative level. So if the causative that's thing the is checking. the self-loathing. Yeah. So, yeah. With muscle checking, you find out. Um, yeah, but there are other ways. I mean, we can't say there aren't other ways of doing things. It's, um, mm-hmm. Some people are really good at working out these um, imbalances without muscle checking. Muscle checking is just a tool mm-hmm. like any other. And the better you use it, the better skills it gives you. But there are other ways of finding out what the underlying problem is. Mm-hmm. But working not at the underlying level is it's really um, a dangerous game. There's two places I want to take this. I think we'll start with the concept of suppression because that's kind of where this is going. And then after, maybe let's just quickly flesh out because uh, we've talked a lot about neurotraining. Like we've used the word balances and stuff. So that's neurotraining and muscle checking. We can kind of just explain versus neurological networks, the objective and subjective nature of those two modalities. But first, suppression is like the most fascinating thing to me. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons why, although sure there are other modalities that can like, there's, there's um, like clear cognizant people that just know shit, right? There's into, well, you don't like the word intuitive, but there's like mediums and channelers like that, that exists in the world. There's also a lot of bullshit around muscle it. Muscle checkers in their head. I'm so jealous. Those people who can bloody muscle check in their head without doing a muscle check. Exactly. I can hide it away. You've seen me hide it away. You can't see I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it in my head. All those mediums and those people who are literally muscle checking in their head. Exactly. So there was ways of doing it, but without that, this concept of suppression, like I remember when I first discovered um, like the, the, the fact that pharmaceuticals, um, suppress things you take an advil you're not getting rid of your headache you are well they don't call them advils in australia but anyways paracetamols you're not getting rid of anything you're just suppressing it and so that ends up manifesting as some other type of issue down the line undoubtedly but then more recently i realized that exists in the natural world too like a lot of holistic people are prescribing herbs and really great natural things, but they're not necessarily doing anything different. It's still the culture of suppression. So one thing I love about muscle checking is you can actually see if what you're doing is suppressing or solving. Uh, Yeah. So the concept of suppression is, and everyone knows what the word is, but neurologically what it does is it basically you've got some issue, some imbalance. And when you apply the wrong solution to that imbalance, you have the chance of um, taking the symptoms away 
because you have you've you've altered the way the nervous system works in some way that takes the symptoms of the problem away, but you haven't actually uh, fixed up the problem at all. You've just covered, you've thrown a blanket over the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the big problem with suppression is actually um, the symptom relief is what people are so drawn to with okay. suppressions is that they're so powerful at removing the symptoms um, that um, you, you fail to realize that how much energy are you actually requiring mm. to keep a problem that's still there hidden away? Right. Like that's what you're actually doing is you're just using up so much energy to hide the symptoms away that you're just taking off. You're just drawing down energy that should be used for your liver and your kidneys and everything. It's just using any and every amount of energy available to hold the symptoms away when the underlying problem is um, gone. That's why, Everybody, when they get old and start running out of energy, all their old problems come back. No, you don't have the energy to keep things suppressed anymore. So I don't remember what started this session that we did, this neurotraining session, but maybe it was my breathing or maybe I can't, there was some like low energy thing going on. And what it led to is you asked me if I had glandular fever when I was younger and which is also... I mean, in North America, it's more known as mono. It's like the kissing yeah. disease that everyone kind of gets in high school. And I did have that. And I surely had antibiotics for it because that's just the world that I was living in at the time. And you told me that, that so, well, you were testing your muscle checking and it was, it was suppressed because of the antibiotics. This glandular fever mono was suppressed. And so you unsuppressed it in a session. And you said to me, you're going to, I was staying at your house. You said, you're going to wake up and you're going to have mono. You're going to feel like shit. Cause it's been dormant in your body for how, like what, 20 years, 15 yeah. years. How the fuck does that, what's going on there? Like I didn't, first of all, I didn't believe you. And even though I've heard so many stories of, you know, like the unsuppressed, I think you even told me, was it chicken pox? Yeah. Chicken <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, unsuppressed your chicken pox and you got chicken pox the next day. So I, you unsuppressed my glandular fever and it, I truthfully didn't believe you. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, and I woke up, I slept like 13 hours. I woke up nauseous and all the things. I remember laughing at you. I know. <laughs> so what can you, because like what is happening there? Like, you know, this, these modalities are so crazy that they feel like magic, but somehow you have the capacity to be like, it's not magic. This is what happened. Like, can you walk me through what happened? Yeah. So, um, some mechanisms of suppression are kind of easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Some, I don't even understand myself, but you understand the concept of what's gone on and it makes sense within the context of suppression. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But with a gland suppressed glandular fever is actually um, a really easy one to explain. So anyone who's had glandular fever, if you do a blood test or a liver biopsy, they'll find a little bit of glandular fever um, that's basically um, there. And your mm -hmm. immune system, if there's a flare up, your immune system just knows how to deal with that really quickly. So mm -hmm. no one gets symptoms of glandular fever if they've dealt with it correctly. Um, 
But so suppression with viruses are uh, quite a little bit um, unusual. So what actually happens is um, go open up a bit of Pandora's box, but um, mm. there's always um, whenever you have a virus, there's always a bacteria and a fungus that goes with it. Right. So never spoken to you about this, I don't think. But basically no, what you happens did, is... In that session, you mentioned the three, the triangle. Yeah. So basically, if you suppress glandular fever as opposed to dealing with it properly, um, sure, there'll still be a little bit of, of a round. And when I say suppressed, there could be a lot of mechanisms how you've suppressed it, right? So it could be your respiratory system changed the acid alkaline balance of you. So now the glandular fever doesn't like this new environment because it's either too acidic or too alkaline. So that can be done with one or two breaths. You can change your whole acid alkaline balance mm -hmm. just very slightly, but enough that um, uh, Epstein-Barr virus doesn't like that environment anymore. So it can't replicate really well. But your immune system hasn't learned how to deal with it. It's just now kind of dormant, right? right. But now you've changed your environment a little bit you having, say, your respiratory system fight a war that your immune system should be fighting. Your immune system right. never learns how to do Epstein-Barr. So now, great. But now this new environment is the perfect breeding ground for candida. With Epstein-Barr, it's always candida. So now the fungus comes out. So now you've got chronic candidiasis. And But hey, you don't have Epstein-Barr symptoms anymore. Yay. But now you, you go up. Ah, have had candida and bloating for the last 20 years um, and then someone puts you on an anti-candida diet so now you've changed the environment a bit more fighting candida would never have been the right thing because that's a, a suppressed that's a function caused by from the suppression anyway right so you should yeah. never be fighting candida in this context it's the wrong context so now you change your stomach environment so that candida can't thrive there and all the strep B that lives in you goes, oh, cool. Well, Candida was keeping me under control. So that's the triangle. Strep B, Candida, Epstein-Barr. Mm. That's, that's that triangle. Every right. virus has its own triangle. Right. Um, and th that's why people have a hard time getting over viruses and bacteria because you've always got to find the virus, the bacteria, and the fungus and work on them as a and all three together. Then you get over it really quickly. Um, so, but that triangle is well researched and well known. You can even find medical papers on that, like Epstein-Barr correlates with candida and strep B. So usually the, the sore throat with Epstein-Barr is the strep infection that comes along with it, mm. um, or can be. Um, so then, you know, you fix the candida and then the strep now, so you end up in this vicious cycle of never getting anywhere. It's just because the Epstein-Barr has changed the environment or you've changed the environment to suppress the Epstein-Barr instead of going to war with the Epstein-Barr and winning the war. Mm -hmm. So, you, and then you, could, so oh. you unsuppress, in your case, you unsuppress the Epstein-Barr. That then makes well, is, the system Is that Epstein-Barr? Is, is mono Epstein-Barr? Yeah. Yeah, ah. same thing. Mono and Epstein-Barr are the same virus. Okay. Glandular fever, mono, Epstein-Barr, all the same thing. Okay, cool. So you unsuppress that. Um, so you unsuppress that. Then then the environment goes back to how it wants to be. So then the candidate, say, would go away and the strep will go away. 
but now you got Epstein Barr. Let's rewind a second. Is it simple enough to explain how one like I know it's <laughs> how so all viruses you explain unsuppressing? Oh, you just find uh, you find what your body wants to basically. Uh, we said like it's throwing a blanket over the problem. Mm-hmm. You just find what the body needs to take the blanket away. Mm-hmm. Fixing a suppression is really easy. That's not the problem. It's now you've got the problem that was suppressed. You still have to deal with it. That's the real problem with suppressions. The taking away a suppression is super easy. Like that's most, most better neurological options. If you find a suppression will work in taking the suppression away. It doesn't have to be so precise. Mm -hmm. You just got to stop your body doing the suppression. Sometimes with medication, it can be harder. You know, if you've been taking uh, anti-arthritis drugs for 30 years and the arthritis drugs are the suppressing agent, then you have 30 years of a suppressant going on. It's going to be more difficult to unsuppress the arthritis and then clean up all the arthritis meds. Not saying arthritis meds are bad. Just saying they can be suppressive. I'm saying they're bad. Anything else. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. I don't um, care. <laughs> it's so, this world's so PC now. I know. Don't release our chats. <laughs> Um, um okay so like taking away that suppression is bad sorry is good but then you still got to now deal with Epstein-Barr but right. usually if something's been suppressed for a long time when you were 15 had Epstein-Barr or mono and you're running around no energy don't know what's good for you your body doesn't have the right resources to deal with Epstein-Barr but I give you Epstein-Barr as a healthy um you know adult now who's spent the last 10 years making yourself really healthy and good and strong mm-hmm. epstein Barr was a one-day event right well i think it was you two what to do. okay so two days you yeah. knew what to do with it and yeah. you fought it and your immune system goes ah, i've got this and then now your immune system takes care of epstein Barr, so it's in harmony with how things should be working well, you know, it was interesting with that particular story as well is that I was doing adaptive immunity, the neurological networks course very regularly at the time to develop that neural pathway where all my systems are actually operating the way they're supposed to. And I woke up in the morning feeling nauseous and sick and terrible. <clears throat> and I did the protocols and the nausea, like I just felt better after. And based on what we spoke about earlier, there were whole recuperation concept is I knew I wasn't better. I had to rest. And, you know, I didn't go for a beach run that morning and I didn't, you know, do all the things that my mind wanted to do, but doing the the neurological networks, doing the adaptive immunity was like, oh, my like immune system that was being challenged from the unsuppression of the session we did was then like, oh yeah, we like, everything's working properly. We know what to do with this. Yeah. So neurological networks, a neurotraining session is mm-hmm. looking for specific imbalances in that person that may be objective and maybe subjective and maybe constitutional and maybe genetic and maybe a whole bunch of other things, but it's very specific to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, the neurological network courses don't require muscle checking unless you're learning how to do the muscle checking in that, that course. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't require muscle checking. It's just like at any point in your life, you can choose to learn something new. 
-hmm. Learning something new will require developing neural pathways around that thing. If you don't know how to play the guitar and you start learning how to play the guitar, you will develop new neural pathways around playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. That's your choice. You can always do that. You may have dexterity issues in your fingers. So what? So you won't be the best guitarist in the world, but you're still going to learn how to play the guitar. And so what about any imbalances you have that may make it a bit harder for you to do that or get in the way? But but so what? You're still going to be able to learn the guitar. Mm -hmm. That's what neurological networks courses are. Who cares if you've got a few imbalances in your immune system? Mm -hmm. You can still do a program that makes your immune system have some new neurology, Mm -hmm. and that's going to make your immune system better. So it's not going to unwind the underlying Epstein-Barr suppression in your immune system. Mm-hmm. It's just going to create some new neurology in your immune system that allows you to deal with viruses, bacteria, mold, mm-hmm. all those things a bit better. Mm-hmm. It's like it's new neurology as opposed to cleaning up old neurology. Right. We're just creating new neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Just learning a new trick. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you do the protocols, you can create lots of different new neural pathways. You can do the whole protocol for 90 days or uh, Andrew said 90 days, but really you don't have to do it 90 days. So religiously it starts working after a few. Mm -hmm. So after a few um, times of doing it, it actually starts cleaning up some things and then the new neural pathways are being created and being created. Um, But you could do the whole protocol, which will create some, a new neural pathway or you could do chop and change the protocols a little bit to suit your needs. So um, you could do, say, virus, bacteria, and mold together and mm-hmm. just do those ones, and you'll create some new neurology about how to deal with mm-hmm. virus, bacteria, and mold triangles. Uh, or you could do the spleen and the liver, and that'll help your immune system. Like you can chop and change and create yeah. small snippets of new neurology all over the show. So right. like I mean, it's like learning a few chords on the guitar versus learning whole songs. It's it, the, that's right. You're it's still nature. getting better at the guitar mm-hmm. by learning a few chords on the guitar. Yeah, and so the adaptive immunity being the immune system course, you're just giving your immune system new neurology to operate better, just like you would be playing guitar. You're playing it. You're becoming a better guitar player. Yeah. So the. So for neurodynamics, which is the mm-hmm. muscle training course, mm-hmm. I um, I kind of don't recommend to do all 12 of the exercises every day or even four of them because it's so long. It's like a really, um, it's a really long, um, it's not detailed or complicated. It's really simple. You just rub some points, but it takes an extra, you know, seven minutes per exercise and I don't want to do an extra 45 minutes to do a whole set. So mm-hmm. I just do neurodynamics on one exercise every day. And it's the same one. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing it on bicycle crunches. And like, you can't really see um, my core looking better. I don't look like Marcus yet. Um, he's our world record holder partner for neurodynamics. But mm-hmm. I don't look like him yet. But I noticed now... I'm never ginger when I, and I've been doing it for say four weeks and I just do it an extra 10 minutes every day in the morning. I do butterfly crunches, um, sorry, bicycle kicks, whatever they call it. Can't even <laughs> remember the name of my own exercise. And um, 
And now when I bend and twist, I feel nothing. Like my back's never sore. That was just doing, so that was one bit of neurology that I added as opposed to the whole set, which would have been a different neural pathway. Well, the issue with the thing, like you say, you don't look like Marcus yet, who has like, I don't know, 14 pack abs, particularly the core is very deceiving. Most people that have popping abs have a very weak core. Um. Yeah, that's like right. Having like, abs um, and being super lean doesn't mean you're actually activating the neurology of the muscle and have a strong, like particularly the core. I feel like people have very weak cores. Well, that's why I chose core, right? Because I've had um, in the past, I slip a disc every once in a while. Um, you know, the bend and twist motion that mm -hmm. pops everyone's discs out. So I thought, you know what? I'm sick of having a disc problem. I'm just going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I just did the hardest core exercise. I chose the one that I was the weakest at. Right. And I just started doing it every day. And I literally only miss a day when the program says to miss a day. So, and now, like before I'd notice if I bent and twist, I'd always catch myself going, oh, oh maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's almost too late. You've already kind of half done the motion and you, you're kind of hoping that, oh, I hope today's not the day that, yeah. that, um, I've got to get carried into my acupuncturist to pop my disc back in because <laughs> I'm good at some things, but popping my own discs back in are not something that I've mastered yet. <laughs> um, but anyway, now I'll bend and twist and like, I'll only notice like after, like I won't even catch myself anymore. I just bend, twist, pick up whatever I want. And I can tell that this problem's done. was just a bit of a weak core that was um, making my back do the work of my core. Mm -hmm. But Can again, you... there that was just one out of the four core exercises that I was doing. And the program says they'll get to a point where it's finished, where I cannot create any more neurology around this exercise. And then I'll just swap. And then maybe I'll do two. But like with neurodynamics, it says you can do four or five or six exercises a day. And I don't think people would use that course like that. You can, mm. but there's lots of other ways to create the neurology. Mm. Um, maybe one last question since we've been chatting for a while. And I think probably based on the audience of this podcast and like my work in general, there is a, a definite um, passion for like working on oneself and healing. And you made this very clear to me back in the day of not making healing your identity because it can cause problems. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Um, yeah. So initially if you, so I see people who are often chronically ill mm -hmm. and their, their main goal needs to be health because mm -hmm. that's literally, if they don't make health their main goal, they, going to step off the mortal coil pretty soon so if they don't you know really make an effort to fix up a lot of things quite quickly mm -hmm. they're going to be there's you know there's going to be hard for them to come back at some point mm -hmm. um for those people you start off really sick and then you start to get better and better and better and better and at some point you need to change your focus on from health to your goals 
Mm. Future. So it's like your ill health is your past. It's your past that has led you down this road of ill health, mm-hmm. whether your choice or genetics, who cares what it is? It's not a blame game, but it's a factual thing. Whatever's happened to you in your past has led you to this ill health. And so you're in the past to start where you've got to get over these issues. Um, but then as you start getting better, you've got to change your focus to your future. What do you want to achieve in your life? Just being healthy is not the goal anymore. Just being healthy is like the short-term goal. The long-term goal is I'm healthy so I can achieve my Mm long-term goal, Mm -hmm. which may be I want to um, run marathons and have fun and be successful in business and have a family and have, you know, the normal long-term goals. But if your health is too bad, you can't have those goals yet. Mm -hmm. But as you get better and better, health, needs to be just something you know so for me it's not really my identity it's kind of like a hobby of mine I -hmm. learn new things I play with new things and I I want to make myself healthy Mm -hmm. but really the end game of being healthy is to be 90 or 95 years old and feel like I'm still 40 that would be awesome like Mm -hmm. it's to enjoy life more it's not that my identity is this person who needs to be a healthy person. It's that I want to achieve, I've got long, 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 long-term goals. Like when I'm 140, I need to, I've still got shit I need to do. So I need to be healthy to be able to achieve that stuff. If you don't get out of the, my identity is to be healthy and this is who I am, your body will just keep throwing more and more things for you to fix mm-hmm. because you've got infinite amount of genetic material and infinite amount of generations behind you. So what do you have to fix um, when, you know, uh, 200 generations ago when you were a monkey, do you have to start fixing those genes or Mm. like, can't we just start fixing things that are getting in the way of you achieving your goals? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a better way of flipping, right? So initially you start off getting rid of as much as you can just so you can get through the day and start feeling okay. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to make some longer-term goals and you only start working on things that are getting in the way of you achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. So otherwise you'll get to a point where you'll just come for a session with me and you'll go, you need to help me with this, 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 and there'll be 30 things. And you'll be like, why do you need to fix these 30 things? What are they stopping you from achieving? Exactly. And I like, I'm fascinated by the topic. Like I love all these different realms of nutrition and relational health and this and that, but it's very easy to get caught up in like a, a sneaky victim mentality where like you read about all these problems and you're like, I have that. Oh, I have that attachment problem. I have this, that. And really the better thing is like, okay, if I want, a healthy relationship and uh and kids if that's a goal of mine what is blocking me from getting there as opposed to diving into the world of relational and being like oh i have that problem that problem it's like it, it's a it is a reframe it it can it can bring up the same things but it's no longer dwelling in the in the realm of like i'm broken it's more like i actually want to achieve this and this is getting in the way so let's work on it yeah, we're all broken and there's too much shit in the way of us being fixed. Mm-hmm. So you've got to totally reframe it from that. And it's what do I need to achieve my goals. Mm. And then what ends up happening is all the things, it's really cool. 
because what ends up happening is all these things that were bothering you, all the symptoms. So what symptoms are, are just your nervous system telling you you have a problem. That's all a symptom is. Mm -hmm. saying you have a problem you got to go find what the problem is the problem's very rare rarely related to the symptom because that's not how the nervous system works if it could actually map the problem to the symptom so well it would actually know how to get rid of the problem so it shows you the symptom in an area where it kind of got control over and the problem somewhere else so we got to fix these problems but if the nervous system is so showing you all these symptoms but um, because it kind of wants you to pay attention. But after a while, when you're paying attention and you're saying, stop doing that, just tell me what I need to fix to achieve what I want, it will just do that. Mm -hmm. So all your symptoms start disappearing. So after I've seen clients for a while, initially they'd come and they'd give me a whole list of 50 things to work on and we'd work on a few of them. And then the next time a list of 40 things and next time a list of 30 things. And then we may not have even fixed or worked on a whole bunch of those things on the list, but after a few sessions, they just go, the only thing bothering me is this and it's getting in the way of me being able to do this. Mm, I feel like that's One how thing. I am now. Yeah, you just say, I need you to sort this out Also, I can't do this now. It used to be like, it still blows my mind, all this stuff. Like, it's so fascinating, but I also look, you don't give a shit anymore. It's like, let's just fix it. Before it was yeah. so like, fascinating, the story and like the identifying with where it came from. And, and it, it is super interesting once in a while, but now I'm like, whatever, you know, even like the, the face thing, you know, I'm getting this allergic reaction to my face oil. And when I first discovered all this muscle checking stuff, I was like, where's, where did I associate it from? What, you know, I need to know. And now I'm like, oh, I just want to use jojoba oil, whatever, move on. Like it's, yeah. Mm, it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, a, a good friend of mine who worked a lot with um, sexual abuse victims said the ones he noticed, the ones that got better were the ones who were able to leave their problem in the past, mm -hmm. not suppressing it, just saying it, it doesn't help me to be focused on this anymore. And sometimes you can't because of the stress and the trauma and all of the things you may need to clean up. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you just go, yep, it happened, but it's not, it doesn't define me anymore. It's like mm -hmm. the shit in the past can stay in the past and you only deal with it if it's getting in the way of me being able to do something else. Right. If it's getting in the way, then we address it. But, you know, if you live in these problems in the past, they never go away. Mm -hmm. It's like how much time do you really want to spend fixing up everything? like there's too many things it's like yeah. you breathe in car fumes do you want to rebalance every breath you've taken in your life you've told me this too about like you know your problems solved when you were like oh yeah like I used to have you, that you <laughs> kind of don't remember having it anymore yeah yeah so that's I've got a file of all the stuff when I've had sessions and I've looked back in the session I go I didn't have that I didn't have that I didn't have that and then you know it's fixed where you can't there's no a, no no attachment to it anymore at all right like you literally because it's also one of the bad things about neurotraining mm -hmm. is that symptoms don't go away because sorry symptoms go away but then you get new symptoms of the new problem so people are always going oh i have this i have this i have this i have this 
And they're saying, sometimes they go, oh, well, I don't think this is working so well because I, I don't feel any better. Mm. And then you go, how's your sore back? Well, I don't have a sore back anymore, but I still have this, this, and this, but mm. how's your sore knee? But I don't have the sore knee anymore. And how's right. your sore guts? And how's your inflamed this? I don't have any of that, but it's not working because I've still got all of this. Right. So those people need to stop doing that. Mm. And... Well, Just it's kind focus of on what you want to achieve. I mean, neurotraining or not, I think it's a part of the human condition. We look at where we're at and we compare ourselves to where we want to be maybe, or where people are at around us, which, you know, in the world of social media, there's always the glamorous, the better, yeah. the richer, the whatever, the fitter. And we forget that we've had a journey and we've come so far on our own journey. So like tuning in every, every so often, we actually did that in a session. I'm pretty sure where I had to like, go back in my life and look at stages and like, you know, kind of put things into context of like, yes, you have problems still. We're always going to have shit to deal with and work on, but like, look at all the shit you've overcome. Yeah, that's right. And you, you also don't have a reference if you don't have the reference anymore. If right. your back's better and you don't remember having, because the reference isn't there anymore, what are you comparing it to? I'm right. comparing my not sore back to a sore back that I don't have any reference to having anymore. Well, it's so obvious when you get sick, it's like the, or you get hurt. I remember I broke my knee and it was like the worst thing of life. As soon as you can walk again, you're like, fuck, I don't remember any of that. you just move on with your life. That was so easy. Oh, I broke it. Yeah. That was yeah. such a piece of cake. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that happens. Um, and, but it, it makes, you know, it's a hard job sometimes because people always come in complaining and they forget that from where they've come from. Right. Well, blood tests are good. Get them to do blood tests before and blood tests after and you can't argue with a blood test. <laughs> Unless you're testing for the wrong thing like vitamin D. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the right blood test. Okay, let's um, end it there, I think. It's been, we've been chatting for a while. Yeah, cool. That was fun. Yeah, let's just do so it. When are you coming back to Oz? <laughs> when the New World Order collapses. How's coming? Waiting a long time. <laughs> okay, let's end the call, but stay on so we can chat for a minute. Yep. Thank you, Robbie. It was great. Uh, that was good. Thanks for having me back. <laughs>